Hello and welcome to the latest Funds Fan Podcast, hosted by Kyle Caldwell and Sam Benstead. Coming up later on in the podcast is an interview with Herod Smith, who is the full manager of the Stonehenge Fleming Global Best Ideas Equity Fund. It's a strategy where comparisons can be drawn with Fundsmith Equity as it invests in high quality growth shares, has a low turnover and is highly concentrated with less than 30 stocks. Sam carried out the interview with Herod. So Sam, what are the main highlights that our listeners have to look forward to? Hi, Kyle. It's great to be here. My interview with Herod was really interesting. He's a fund manager that not many people will know, but he has more than 35 years of investment experience and has been managing the Global Equity Fund for about a decade. Like you said, he takes a similar approach to Fundsmith and was actually featured as an alternative to Terry Smith in a recent story I wrote for the website. We spoke about finding great companies, what a recession might mean for earnings at these so-called quality companies, and why fund performance has been disappointing this year. One company we went into depth on was Alphabet, the owner of Google. I pressed on how resilient it would be given that most of its profits come from online advertising, which is bound to do be affected if there is an economic slowdown. Before that interview, as usual, me and Sam will cover a couple of news stories related to funds and investment trusts. The first news item is a new research that was carried out by Morningstar, the data provider, which debunks the widely held view that funds with a large amount of assets underperform small funds. So Sam, could you run through the research? Morningstar looked at more than 20,000 funds domiciled in Europe and found that there was a correlation between fund size and performance versus peers, even when fees, which tend to be higher at smaller funds, were stripped out of the calculation. This pattern held across stock, bond and multi-asset funds, debunking a common view that the smaller funds are the more nimble they are and therefore bound to deliver better returns as they can move in and out of stocks easily, including under-researched small companies. One of the reasons for the findings was that smaller funds have fewer resources than large funds because they generate less income, meaning that they may miss out on hiring the best fund managers or having the best access to data. The researchers did warn, though, that there were some exceptions, such as large funds that invest in small or mid-sized companies, as they can become too clunky to move in and out of small companies because they have to build up big ownership stakes. The findings do go against what um, I would have expected, given, as you mentioned, Sam, smaller funds, they are nimbler. So therefore, they are more flexible than their large funds that have you know billions of pounds of assets under management. One thought I have is that it does show that, unfortunately, there are a large number of funds with a small amount of assets that are um, you know not delivering great results for investors. Therefore, as ever, it's important that investors do their homework because there are some great small funds out there that are under the radar. Many of these funds um, with a small amount of assets, they're run by boutique asset management firms. These are companies that um, tend to fly under the radar of investors because they're not household names. They tend to stick to uh, one area, um, such as emerging markets or smaller companies, for example, rather than attempting to be a jack-of-all-trades across various asset classes and sectors. The biggest fund management companies out there, they'll tend to have a fund across all all the asset classes and in many, many sectors. Backing a boutique um, does have the advantage of the fund manager's interests uh, typically being more directly aligned with fund performance. This is because the fund manager tends to have a bigger stake in the overall fund management company. And 
an argument could also be made with boutique fund management companies that they fund managers have a greater independence in the way that they manage the assets. Whereas in a larger company, there could be more pressure to tow a corporate line. Of course, though, greater freedom is not always healthy, particularly if there's a lack of oversight on how the fund manager invests and the fund manager may not be challenged appropriately in a small team. And finally, uh, another disadvantage um, is that smaller funds run by boutique fund managers, they do tend to be more expensive than funds that are managed by larger asset management companies. And this is down to the fact that boutique fund managers, they have more overheads, which makes achieving economies of scale more difficult. What are your thoughts, Sam, when you're looking at potentially investing in a fund, how much importance do you place on fund size? For me, big funds are fine as long as they are investing in big companies. And that's clearly part of what the fund manager sets out to do. Fundsmith, for example, has about 25 billion under management, but buys companies that have a median market cap of 88 billion. So that means it's not an issue to move in and out of stocks. Terry Smith looks for big, well-established companies and usually American companies. So I don't think he is at a disadvantage by managing such a big fund. On the other hand, if it was a fund investing in UK small stocks, for example, and the fund size went over 1 billion, I'd be a bit more worried. Fund size is also a useful test for a fund management company. I like to see companies soft close funds, meaning that they don't allow new investors in if a good fund becomes too big to allow it to invest in the way it wants to. Some fund groups also cut fees on successful funds to pass on savings to investors. As always, it's a case of looking under the bonnet and understanding how the fund or trust invests and what its main objective is. Although it's worth pointing out that um, with investment trusts that have a large amount of assets, size is not an issue. Um, as, as regular uh, listeners will know, investment trusts, they have a fixed number of shares issued, raising a fixed amount of money for the fund manager to invest in a portfolio of assets. Investment trust shares, they're traded on a stock exchange and the share price fluctuates according to demand and supply. But the fund manager does not have to sell or buy shares depending on whether they are attracting or losing investors. We're next going to briefly cover a news analysis piece that um, I wrote for the Interactive Investor website, ii.co.uk. I asked the Association of Investment Companies, the trade body for investment trusts, to run some data for us to show which investment trusts have been increasing their gearing or borrowing levels since the beginning of the year. Only a small number have been doing so in an attempt to buy low as uh, stock markets have been falling. 11 in total were identified. Before I run through them, Sam, could you explain to our listeners why the ability to gear can be a double-edged sword for investment trusts? Sure. So gearing increases the amount a trust can invest, therefore amplifying gains as well as losses. It's one of the key attractions of an investment trust, which are structured like companies and are listed on the stock exchange. Over long periods, because markets tend to rise, this means that trusts have been a great place to be invested. However, during periods when markets fall, Trusts fall harder than similarly managed open-ended funds that cannot use gearing. I've done some analysis on 10 pairs of trusts and funds. My calculations showed that in the first six months of the year, just two trusts performed better than their open-ended rivals. However, the data tells a different story when looking over longer time periods. Half of the trusts performed better over 10 and five years, and six out of 10 did over three years. So of those um, 11 trusts that have been increasing their gearing levels um, from the start of the year to the end of June, 
Um, three are managed by Bailey Gifford, um, Scottish Mortgage, Monks and Edinburgh Worldwide. Um, of course, the trio have seen their share prices come under pressure uh, year to date um, in response to high levels of inflation harming growth companies. Other trusts that have seen their short-term performance turn sour this year and have also been up in gearing levels in attempts to buy low are Montanado European Smaller Companies, Geiger Counter, Henderson European Focus, International Biotechnology and Bellevue Healthcare. The other three trusts that have been increasing their gearing are JP Morgan Global Growth and Income, Fidelity Asian Values and Ecofin Global Utilities and Infrastructure. Those three trusts have seen their share price hold up much better year to date. And in fact, Ecofin has performed very well. Its share price is up over 20%. Increases in gearing uh, reflects an optimistic view of the area the investment trust invests in. Therefore, the investment trusts identified by that research will be hoping on a three to five year view that they will be rewarded for buying low if markets recover their poise. You can check out the full article at ii.co.uk. And finally, from mid-September, there will be a fourth investment trust in the FTSE 100. Sam, over to you to run through the details. That's right. FNC, the global equities trust that dates back to 1868, has a market cap of around four and a half billion. It's the latest trust to join the big league. The others are Scottish Mortgage, 3i and Pershing Square Holdings. Our research team like FNC a lot. It's on our super 60 list of recommended funds, delivering better than benchmark performance for around 0.5% in fees. It's a cheap way of getting professionally managed portfolio of around 400 global shares and is regarded as a great core equity holding in a DIY investor's portfolio. Today, my guest is Yerit Smith, manager of the Stonehenge Fleming Global Best Ideas Fund. The £1.7 billion global equities fund is a top performer since launched nearly a decade ago, returning about 25 percentage points more than the MSCI All Country World Index. Heritage has been in charge for that entire period and has more than 35 years of investment experience. So it really is fantastic to have him on the show. Herit, thank you for joining. Uh, thank you, Sam. So could you tell me a little bit about the fund? What types of companies do you look for? How often do you trade? And what makes this a best ideas fund? Uh, this fund is a portfolio of what we perceive to be the world's best quality companies. Um, they, they each have a particular strategic uh, competitive edge. And, and along with that, each one is attractively valued. So clearly, we, we believe that that combination should give us an uh, attractive return over time. It's, a, it's an, uh, quite a concentrated portfolio. It, it holds 28 different businesses. So uh, with that number, each one of them can have a good impact on the portfolio. Uh, our orientation is uh, very strategically. We, we almost think like a businessman uh, buying a business for the intention to to hold it for long and benefit from from the uh, compounding growth that we see in these businesses. Uh, the the main issues that we 
need total conviction on for each uh, candidate for the portfolio. Uh, firstly, is that uh, organically the business should keep growing well ahead of the economy itself. So that organic growth is uh, is the, the the main issue, and then we therefore a, a, a so-called growth investor. Along with that, uh, we need total conviction about the quality of the management team and and the business culture to orientate themselves for sustainable growth for for the long term. Then thirdly, um, we only invest in companies that are already very profitable and, and that have very strong balance sheets. And then lastly, they they all have to generate lots of free cash flow uh, because in the end that is what we as shareholders can claim from the business so it's uh, all in all uh, quite technology and healthcare driven um, and on your question on how often we trade because of the strategic orientation our our turnover in the portfolio is uh, relatively low uh, almost half of the positions have been there uh, from from inception. Uh, but when we come across a better candidate, uh, we will replace the uh, weakest one in the portfolio, or call it then rather the least strongest one than, than a weaker one. <laughs> um, so all in all, uh, th this year the turnover is a bit higher, uh, but, but uh, still below 10%. That's a great introduction. And one thing that stood out for me when researching this was that your fact sheets are packed with lots of data about the portfolio, things like the operating margin, price to earnings ratio, free cash flow yield. Could you talk through maybe one or two of these these data points that um, you look for and calculate and explain why that is, um, you know, that, that reflects a strong, high quality company? The, uh, perhaps the, combination of the return on invested capital that can then lead to sustainable growth and free cash flow. So clearly, uh, any any business has to keep uh, reinvesting in itself to to generate capacity for growth. And, and, and clearly, that that call it then reinvestment into the business also has to be profitable. They, they cannot just reinvest to, to create capacity. So the, the return on invested capital is, is a really important number for us. Um, and, and that is often where management get tested on is uh, whether they uh, invest profitably for, uh, for future growth. And uh, then obviously that has to over time lead to generating free cash flow. I mean, we, we all uh, know that um, business has got a certain asset value, but, but we cannot really claim the asset value from the business. We can only claim the free cash flow. Um, so that, that issue of uh, sustainable free cash flow and the price that you pay for it, the, the free cash flow yield, uh, that, that is really important for us uh, because as, as shareholders, uh, that, that is, we can 
claim for the business and what I do believe in the end, what the market focuses on in valuing the company to, to, to what degree uh, there is the free cash flow that uh, we can value. Great. And you said that you don't like to trade too often, but this year you've been um, a bit more active than usual. So could you talk me through some of your recent trades and um, just explain why um, why you thought one company was, was in a stronger position at the moment than, than another? I, I can uh, first make the comment that the reasons for trading this year has predominantly been because of uh, macro, uh, call it then rather risk issues than just economic issues. I mean, we, we all know we've been saddled with extreme uh, macro risk issues starting this year, uh, early on with uh, the pandemic uh, inflicted uh, issues around uh, high inflation and which was then followed by the Fed tightening and all in all, we, we've had seven of those high risk factors. So the, the first transactions we did uh, very early in the year was, was, was reali realizing with the Fed tightening, with inflation going up and with quantitative tightening also on its way, uh, that, uh, that high multiple valued companies uh, would find it difficult to, to not operationally, but, but the share prices would uh, find it difficult this year. So we have quite early in the year, halved our positions in two outstanding quality companies, but because of valuation, we, we've halved uh, our positions in Intuitive Surgical and in Edwards Life Sciences. And then later, because of the looming uh, recession in the US, but probably worldwide, uh, realizing that the consumer wouldn't be in the best position. We've also trimmed our positions in uh, Nike and in Amazon. Uh, again, outstanding quality companies, uh, but we cannot expect them to to have uh, good share performance this year. Now, clearly the market has uh, uh, derated materially this year. I think in terms of earnings, multiple it dropped by um, over a third. And uh, that gave us the opportunity to buy companies that we followed for long, uh, but that have been overvalued. Clearly, those valuations became attractive and we've introduced this year both uh, L'Oreal into the portfolio and uh, later on uh, KENs. Uh, so so the, the portfolio or the number of holdings obviously then increased this year. And uh, we, we have uh, very early in the year sold out of uh, PayPal. So all in all, we held uh, one more position than what we started in the year. You said macroeconomic factors um, were a big thing at the moment. So could you be a bit more specific there? So what are the key things that you are particularly worried about? And um, when you manage the portfolio, how are you making adjustments to um, invest money better? Yeah, that is a uh, really important question. Uh, I've, I've touched on the point of seven uh, macro risk factors. And just for a quick 
uh, recap on that. That that was initially the the inflation uh, scare that started early in the year, and then with the Fed uh, that had to start with a tightening cycle, and then obviously we had the Ukraine war starting. Shortly after that, China went into an uh, their second uh, lockdown uh, for the world's second largest economy. And then uh, investors realized that uh, the quantitative tightening process uh, was on its way that could unsettle uh, liquidity in the market and uh, perhaps interest rates. And along with all of these, the, the dollar uh, kept appreciating and at a stage was up 14% a year. Uh, and that, that's not good for, for any economy. And, and as a result of, uh, of all of these, uh, the, the looming U.S. recession became a concern. And uh, we don't know whether we yet have to add uh, Taiwan as an, uh, another risk factor. Um, but, but all in all, uh, what we as investors have to assess is whether this combination of the, these risk factors, uh, while we're following each one of them individually, in the end it is about the combination and whether that overall risk is in process of still worsening further or stabilizing and, and hopefully later improving. And, and our perception is that uh, in, into June, it was starting to stabilize, and it's probably now in a, in a good process of stabilizing. So as you may have gathered from our response on the uh, previous question, we, we have early in the year uh, sold out of a, some of our existing positions or, or part, part of those. Uh, and uh, as, as these... The perception of uh, this overall risk composition then started stabilizing. We, we, we've added uh, the two positions. So, so clearly we're in process of building more comfort and uh, conviction than where we started in the year. And so, so far it almost feels like 2022 may be a year of uh, two halves. And as we perhaps head into a recession into the US, in the UK, in Europe this this winter, how resilient are earnings going to be in your portfolio companies? I noticed something like Alphabet, one of your top holdings, is very reliant on online advertising, which naturally, well, it should decline if people have less um, you know, disposable income and, and businesses aren't investing as much. So are you worried that you're going to see an earnings hit in these in these quality companies? Yeah, that that is uh, clearly a concern to 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 many, um, and I think the the level of comfort uh, that an investor can have obviously has, is is very dependent on your definition of of quality, and um, and th- those four factors that I started our discussion with clearly our, our portfolio is is uh, one of, uh, getting back to the first point of, of organic growth, staying above or well above uh, e- economic growth. So within that, uh, 
the main theme in our portfolio is the one of participating in this digital revolution that we all are very conscious of with issues around artificial intelligence and cloud computing, uh, Internet of Things, uh, big data, and cybersecurity, and, 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 and so forth. Uh, if, if I may dare say, uh, those themes are so structural uh, that I can almost say, irrespective of economic circumstances, uh, it can keep growing. And, uh, and under normal circumstances, uh, the, the, the compounding growth that one can expect from, from this digital revolution is in excess of a fifth per year, probably for the next five years. So even if that, that gets tempered a bit, uh, most of our holdings in the portfolio uh, clearly on, on this theme can, can, can continue growing, uh, probably at, at lower uh, levels of growth, but, but continuing with, with positive growth. Uh, and, and with that, I, I mean uh, perhaps high single-digit numbers. Uh, uh, the, the, the growth projections we have for the next three years that clearly incorporates the the uncertainty for the short term, um, but the, the, the weighted growth in, in our portfolio uh, comes down to about 12% per annum. So hopefully when, when that materializes, uh, after that period, the share prices uh, could have followed. On, on a company like uh, Alphabet, uh, it, it is a very relevant uh, question because uh, their main business is uh, is electronic uh, advertising. Uh, the, the important point on Alphabet is that they've got a number of uh, different drivers uh, that, that, that drive that uh, uh, electronic uh, advertising income. I mean, first, we, we have obviously Google Search, uh, the most re recent results have shown that to be surprisingly resilient. Uh, and then along with that, we have Android, uh, about three quarters of the world's uh, mobile phones uh, run on the Android operating system. Um, hopefully most of those people will keep uh, using that for, for transactions. And then along with that, they, they have YouTube, um, and, and as you, you may know, YouTube is by far the most popular uh, system for, for the teenage group, uh, even more so than, than Instagram and TikTok. So whether, whether these will drop materially, uh, I'm, I'm not totally convinced. Uh, we can expect uh, perhaps weaker growth. Uh, but I'm not so convinced about uh, deep negative growth. And then lastly, uh, as, as you may well know, Alphabet is now the U.S.'s third largest cloud business. So they, they invest heavily in cloud, and uh, that is uh, totally independent of the advertising income. So that, that can probably also make a, a contribution for uh, Alphabet uh, 
to perhaps do better under circumstances that, that would uh, otherwise have been the, the case. But, but structurally, uh, in, in the sector of uh, electronic advertising, uh, Google keeps taking market share, and that is probably the, the most important issue. Your fund has great long-term performance, but over the past year, it's been a bit weaker as um, interest rates have, have risen and you know, value shares, um, oil companies, mining companies, cheap stocks have, have done a bit better than than these highly priced quality stocks. So what, why do you think your approach is the right approach? And taking a five, 10-year view, it's your basket of companies which will be... Um, which will deliver the best returns to to investors. Yeah, the the, the first half performance has, has been disappointing, uh, pro- probably for foremost. Uh, clearly, what has happened with uh, the uh, macro uh, economic backdrop and uh, the risk factors, as we uh, explained, uh, investors uh, took fright, and uh, as it often happens. They uh, bank profits where they have the best profits, and, and clearly, the the growth strategy suffered uh, mainly from from that issue, uh, and and then for for those that didn't want to hold it all in cash, they then rather bought low value shares, and perhaps where there's a higher dividend income. So these these rotations from growth to value uh, happens actually quite quite often. Uh, this this year it has happened to the extreme for 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 very good reasons. But 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 those periods of rotation are usually relatively short, um, and and structurally on the philosophy that we apply. Uh, for 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 what type of companies uh, we we look to to hold for that above average organic growth, uh, well ahead of uh, uh, normal eco- economic growth, uh, per, per definition over time that that has to deliver, and historically it has continued delivering, uh, and. If I can say, very often with an interruption of of a, of a rotation to value. So, uh, my my two main points are the focus on on high organic growth in quality companies, and and the fact that uh, the rotations are actually very normal, and I cannot see why those would suddenly reverse uh, to to something else. Finally, the question we ask all of our guests, do you personally invest in the fund? In short, uh, I do. Um, my pension is invested in uh, global best ideas. Um, I, I manage global best ideas uh, as I would manage my own money. And uh, that is simply for sustainable compounding growth um, at, at a, what I perceive a lower level of risk, uh, as I defined uh, the, those four critical factors uh, for, for companies to be considered for global-based ideas. 
And uh, I, I do believe it is a responsible way to uh, manage uh, scarce money. Herit, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for coming on to the Funders Fan podcast. My pleasure. Thank you, Sam. That's all we have time for for today. But before we go, we wanted to share with you that our podcast will soon look and sound a little different. In the next few weeks, the Richard Hunter interview will be moving to the IR YouTube channel as a video-based series with Funds Fan becoming a new weekly show called On The Money, hosted by Becky O'Connor and myself. On The Money will look at the biggest news stories and how they could affect your investments. If you're already a subscriber to our podcasts, you won't need to do a thing. The new show will appear automatically in your podcast app. Becky and myself will also be speaking to a range of voices in the world of finance to get their expert views on funds, market trends, pensions, and the things to watch out for that could make a big difference to you and your investments. And we want you to get involved as much as possible. Join the conversation on Twitter at IIOnTheMoney or send us a question to otm at ii.co.uk and join us soon for episode one. Sam and myself will see you back here on Funds Fan in a couple of weeks. Bye for now. Hold up. 